Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, or good afternoon, depending on where you are. And as you can tell, today I'm actually at the Sitch Radio Studios in Irvine, California, uh, with this nice background, and I have this crazy headset on, so uh, we're here. Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, and I'm really excited uh, that we are working with Climb and Lift, um, which is a... Uh, an initiative that we're doing with, at IEM um, regarding what are we doing bringing uh, women and other disadvantaged, um, which sounds kind of terrible the way I say it like that, um, uh, populations into the field of emergency management and really opening up our opportunities. And uh, Carol, if I said that wrong, uh, please correct me. But I'd love to bring in our guest, uh, Carolyn and Charlotte. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. So, so Carol, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, first of all, um, we've been friends for for a bit, and it's it's great to see see you again. Uh, we got to spend some time uh, last week together doing some neat stuff that was going on with with uh, what we're doing with the uh, our, our strategic goals and our initiatives um, over uh, generally with with IEM. You want to talk about that for a quick second? Sure, absolutely. Last week was the board retreat um, for the board of the International Association of Emergency Managers. Um, it's an annual mid-year opportunity for the board to be able to kind of roll up their sleeves and work specifically on operational issues um, and also policy issues. And as Todd mentioned, the strategic plan is something that's very important to us. And it was last updated in 2014. And, and I don't need to be the one to tell everybody that not only has this profession, but life in general has changed a whole lot since 2014, including um, tolerances and acceptance of, of diverse populations and the needs of all as opposed to just the needs of a few. Absolutely. And and so I know this is, of course, close to you, uh, what we're talking about here today, uh, because, you know, You've gone through the struggles through the years, and uh, uh, and it sounds terrible because we're sounds like we're old. But I remember back in the day, back in my day, you know, when realistically, um, most people that were 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 gay um, didn't talk about it and and, and kept it really close to, to the vest. And you know, and this is you know the eighties and the nineties, um, and there was a lot of stuff going on then. What was that journey for you? Uh, from to get into emergency management and then also having to go through those struggles of not being able to be who you are. Absolutely. Um, and my first career was actually in city planning with the city of San Diego and county of San Diego. And that was back in the 70s, not the 70s, but the early 80s. Um, and it was it was definitely a struggle because you had to be so private. I mean, there were a few people that would that knew that I that I shared my life with another woman. Um, but I was definitely not out at work. There were there were policies that were, you know, it, it limited people from being hired or, or being tolerated in the workplace. And so I didn't want to I didn't want to be victimized in any way. And besides, I felt like it was my it was my private life. Mm-hmm. And so other than a few close friends um, who basically kept it a secret for a, a real long time, that was just the agreement. That's how it worked then. Um, but there are all sorts of other things, too. I mean, you can't walk um, down the beach hand in hand without a fear of having a beer bottle thrown at you. And those are the kinds of things I think hurt much more than the treatment in the workplace, because all I had to do in the workplace was hide. Mm. Um, but, you know, out in public, you're denied so many different things in your relationship um, that, that straight couples are instantly entitled to. So. 
you you've gone through this the trials and tribulations and then um last year you you broke the glass ceiling well i guess two years technically because you became second vice president but you were sworn in um in october as the first openly gay president of the international association of emergency managers and and breaking that that uh, glass ceiling if you will uh what was that like for you emotionally Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, my my sort of career within IEM had been, um, I feel like it was actually fairly deliberate. My goal was to someday be the president. And since I wasn't in that good old boy club coming in, and it was impossible to sort of force my way into that, because I mean, partly just because I'm gay, and I was more open then, although not a whole lot. Um, I volunteered immediately for conference committee, quickly became the chair for, for six years, um, so that way I had the notoriety. People knew that I was friendly, I was approachable, um, I was inclusive. And so I sort of had to create my own my own world. And eventually then that overlapped with the sort of what we call the good old boy group. And so I, that was the way that I was accepted, that I ran for regional president. I just kept doing the work. I wanted to earn my stripes. And that's something that I mentioned in the in my inaugural address um, I had not been openly out within IAM before that night, before mm. that night in my inaugural address, but I felt that it was absolutely critical that I that I show if I'm going to have a, a year focused on diversity, I needed to tell people why I was qualified to be that spokesperson. And by telling them my life story and the losses that I'd gone through, um, one of the things I pointed out that night was that 30 of my 35 closest gay male friends died an agonizing death from AIDS because I came of age during the time of AIDS. And that's something that most of the people in that room have never experienced that kind of loss in their life. And so it was important to me to talk about the ramifications, um, the how my career had been affected by that and why I have always been a mentor to others, because you're right, we need to help people climb. And sometimes that involves lifting um, as we help each other th- up through the great ladder of life. So, Charlotte, this, this is towards you. So, Carolyn, you know, was a pioneer in this and breaking the breaking the fields here and, and, and just really kind of trudging along in the beginning. And, and now you get to step on the shoulders of giants, if you will. And, and what are you, what is your goal? And, and tell me a little, well, let me go back a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your journey into where you are today and then uh, some of the challenges that you had. And then we'll, we'll go into the second question I was going to have for you. Yeah, well, I'm really so happy to be here and, and to share this space with Carolyn as well. Uh, and I really do applaud your uh, your your position in the, in the organization now and what you're doing with IEM and putting it out there. Uh, and and just be having you as a gay woman in a visible position of leadership like that is huge. And that mm-hmm. that just it shouldn't be such a radical thing that you're there and that you're it there, but it is. It's an example that people can follow. I think it's wonderful. Um, for me, I got into emergency management going from uh, basically in the government contracting space. I worked originally for a company that uh, did more so um, intelligence analysis, network analysis, kind of stuff like that. And then I got into a, um, another private company that did contracting with FEMA and with local government. Um, so I learned a lot about doctrine and policy and, um, and ICS and all that great stuff, uh, but it was in that kind of consultant level. So then I, I moved, did some other things for a while, and then I got into EMS as an EMT, uh, and I did that for a couple of years too. 
And that really gave me such an excellent uh, experience of the on the ground work and of patient care and being, you know, with people in these um, really difficult moments and sort of uh, ingrained into me that it's not your emergency idea of that, that um, wanting to be calm, the leader in that moment, uh, you know, when things are going on. And then in doing that, I had an opportunity when uh, Griffin started growing to come on as director of operations. I started out there as a consultant as well. Um, but just given the past couple of years, what we've been able to do with our training programs, with um, just the, the, the different places that we've been able to put our message out there, which is accessibility, inclusion, emergency management. Um, I was really able to come in and, uh, and, and, and do that. And I've been in that role. Um, it's it's going to be a year pretty soon, but um, it's been a really great experience. And, uh, and I've had a lot of opportunities to work with IAEM on, on a few committees as well. And I really see the value um, that has. Uh, so I'm just super grateful to be here and, and getting to know all the different folks in this community, all the hardworking women and uh, just gender diverse people as well. Uh, and, and working with them, seeing their stories, the opportunities that I've had to, to share my story, if it inspires anybody or anybody can relate to it, has been incredible. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit of where I'm coming from, sure. So, Charlotte, let's let's talk a little bit about, like, how you feel uh, in the LBGTQ plus community. Um, what does it mean for you to see somebody like Charlotte uh, or see, like, Carolyn uh, take that let leap and, and become the IEM president? I think it's 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 inspirational. I mean, not to, you know, uh, blow smoke or anything, but I think you should really be proud. And I think people should see it as an inspiration, because like you said, it's you had to keep you had to closet yourself. You had to keep yourself in the closet out of a sense of self-preservation or maybe uh, your own ambition. You had to temper it with that need to hide, you know, that part of yourself. And that's really difficult to do. And it's uh, taxing incredibly. So just the idea that now we could have other people come up in the field. They don't need to do that. And they could bring their full selves to their workplaces and not only to their workplaces, but to responses to, uh, you know, the work of emergency management, you know, and, and be able to bring those different perspectives, those just, just being there fully. I mean, it's, it's huge. And I, I, I really applaud it. And I think that the more we can do to, uh, I don't even want to say normalize, but yeah, but just normalize the fact that that queer and trans and and people are here in the world and we're, you know, doing the same jobs as other people doing them just as good or better. Um, yeah, representation is very important, uh, which Carol just said. And, um, you know, it, it really is. It, it matters. It matters. If you see somebody that's got a similar story to yourself, it becomes you know, feasible or possible in your mind that I could do that too. So I think it's huge. So with, with climb and lift, the concept, uh, mm -hmm. Charlotte, I mean, you, you're, you're blazing a new trail as well. Um, and you, you know, you had your personal story, which you share um, on your LinkedIn page. Um, if you could talk a little bit about that and then how you want to make it, well, be a role model, if you will, um, as, um, you know, as, as your challenge went forward, how can you be a role model for somebody who, uh, feels that they're in the same position and maybe uh, isn't as confident as you are. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, at least I'm projecting confidence if I'm not actually confident. But uh, uh, and I thank you for reading the article that I posted there. And I really, really appreciate the feedback I got. And it was uh, just my story as a transgender woman and how 
it, I, you know, came out and what it took for me to, to get to a place where I was okay enough to do it and recognize that, it, you know, was something that I needed to do. And, you know, I was 26 years old, but some people are, are 16 and some people are 66 years old. And, you know, that I talked about a little bit in there, like, oh my gosh, it's too late. It's never going to work the way I want. It's, I should just give it up. But I, now I see, look back with a lot of sympathy for that point of view, because, you know, there, there wasn't maybe as many um, examples that I saw or people who had done it successfully. I mean, eventually I did once I looked into things and started getting a support network. It was uh, extremely um, helpful to see other people doing that and, and how they've, you know, been supported and come through the other side of it, um, you know, successful. And, um, and this probably says something about me and my personality, but I put together like a, a document with, all these notable trans people and the success they had in life. And I shared it with like my family and friends who were worried. And I said, look, you know, look at Laverne Cox, look how successful she is. Look at, uh, you know, uh, a few of these, you know, other folks who are like very prominent um, because I was just like, it, it's there, it's out there and people are, you know, successful in doing it. Um, but anyway, I, you know, the, the example I want to have to put out to people or leadership is just, you know, it's, it's, you're not alone, you know, and you can find your folks who've got similar experiences who can help you through it. No one's experience is exactly the same. So I don't want to like go and say that there's one blanket way to, to transition or that you have to do this or that. Um, in fact, I'd like to be even counter to that because I encountered um, that sort of mentality among people who have maybe been through a lot of things in their lives and had transitioned in a time of like very, tough environment where you can only do certain things. Um, but you know, it just, yeah, that, that just knowing it's out there is, um, I think can help people tremendously that there's somebody like you out there. But, um, uh, but I will say, you know, coming out in, in a workplace in a professional setting, I was, um, the communication specialist at this company. So I was public. Um, I was the one, you know, putting out press releases, doing interviews, things like that. So, I had to do it in a way that was like, okay, I'm really putting myself out there. And, you know, I spent a lot of time writing things up, how it was going to look in, in an email, working with bosses of the company, you know, and, and there wasn't anyone who had done it where I'd worked before. And maybe I would do things differently now, but I was um, really grateful um, that I, you know, people wanted to work with me and I took the time to look into it. So um, I guess I would say to anybody, just be, be mindful, you know, don't rush. Um, which is easy for me to see. Sometimes people, it's it's literally life and death to transition and get out of a certain situation. So, you know, and I try to recognize whatever privileges that I have um, that's allowed me to experience whatever success that I've had. So, right. uh, yeah, that was that was a lot, but I guess it's you know it's it's something for me that's um, that's big. So I could talk on it forever. But but it, it is a lot, right? I mean, like I mean, it's. I, I I can only empathize with with being in that in that position, uh, because I mean obviously, you know I'm not, and I don't I can't put myself necessarily um, in your shoes 100. percent But I can only just say, hey, you know, as Jackie says here, she says it's all about being you and living your truth, and keep living your truth to make EM a better place because of your spirit. And as emergency managers, and I talk I tell this to my students all the time. I said we we have to take a look. There's there's two things we have to do. One is we have to take a look at the whole community, right? And the second thing that we have to do is work with those that do not that are disadvantaged, right? And and what does that mean? It's like uh, people that are that are economically um, disadvantaged, 
right? Uh, because we, I mean, like if you think about an evacuation, it's easy for people that own their own cars to jump in the car. Well, not necessarily easy, but easier, right, to jump in their own car and drive compared to those that, you know, have to use public transportation, right? And we saw that for specifically um, with like Katrina, for instance. Right. So so being able to put yourself in everybody else's shoes and be empathetic, I think, is a really core uh, uh, skill as emergency managers that we have to have. Um, Carolyn, do you disagree with that or do you agree with that? No, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think not only do we need to embrace the whole community, but we really need to recognize the fact that we're all equals. That's something that I, I still don't see on a regular basis. Some will go, oh, well, you know, I talked to someone from the black community. Well, have you found out about the, the, their, their cultures, their, their practices, their, their, their friends, where they go to work? I think we need a much better understanding. And, and when I have the pleasure of having a one-on-one meeting um, with Dan Criswell, the FEMA administrator, one of the things that I pointed out is that I'd really like us to have access to more information about who really lives and works in our communities. It's so much more than just looking at the census and going, oh, 2.5 people live in that house. I mean, who are they? What part of our diverse community do they represent? What interests do they have? Do they work at home? Do they commute every single day? Um, do they have pets? I mean, if we knew more about the people that we work for and work with, um, we'd be able to serve them much, much better. And of course, our own staffing could be altered to better match. And if we can't, if we don't have a big enough staff to do that, we could have support groups where we can find out about the different sort of contingencies within our community so that we can do a better job. If you look at other people as, as equal, I look at the two of you and I think I'm equal to Charlotte, I am equal to Todd, and you're both equal to me. It just changes. It it. it it just changes that sort of that playing field. Um, there's another, now I've lost the thought. Um, there was another point that I wanted to make. Maybe it'll come if I just keep. Um, <laughs> nope, that didn't work. Um, there, there are. Oh yeah. I, I simply have to share this. Um, I told you that I, I started in as a city planner in the early eighties. Um, and I, I actually only spent two and a half years at the County of San Diego's office of emergency services. It was called the office of disaster preparedness that back then, but walks like a duck looks like a duck. Um, and back then you didn't, you know, there weren't programs where you went to get uh, degrees or anything. And so the training was either to fly back to EMI and I'm based in San Diego. So that's a long flight or you would get in a car and drive, you know, hundreds of miles to a training like at the California Specialized Training Institute, which was the training and still is the training branch for California Office of Emergency Services. And so I was taking a sheltering class. And so I had to drive up in the county car um, all the way up to San Luis Obispo with one of the office workers I was very unfond of. He was very, very discriminatory in every regard. And it was agony to have to ride in a car that far with him. Um, at any rate, when we were there, the subject, you'll love this, the subject of gays, they called him just gays, gays and pets came up. And what we, what should we should do, what we should do about gays and pets if we're managing a shelter. And this guy that I had to ride in the car with. I need, I need to interrupt you for a second. So uh-huh. it's as if like, and, and, and kind of put this into perspective today, is that when we talk about pets in the shelter, right, um, we're talking about like 
planning for having separate quarters for pets, like like a kennel, if you will. So right. that's that's kind of that's, that's that's a terrible thought to think of of saying gays and pets that we're going to put yeah. gays in a Talk separate about othering. Thing. I mean, wow. right. oh oh, it actually got worse. Um, but yes, you're right to to cluster to cluster gays and pets together. I thought, where where is he going? And then he added in anyone who's really sick. So whatever that meant. So he clustered those three things together, and he thought that it would be more humane to take the pets out and actually shoot them, if you can believe that, because you're in this shelter, and he's thinking it's going to be like a bomb shelter, I guess, and that they'll just starve to death otherwise. Unbelievable. And that the gays would all be acting very inappropriately, so they'd have to be separated and probably would have to be kept outside, didn't know how and didn't care. And the people that were really, really sick, we'd have to figure that out, some humane way to deal with that. This was 1986. Wow. And I'm saying this not out of bitterness, but to tell you, 1986 in some ways wasn't that long ago for some people. There are still definitely people who would cluster gays and whatever bad thing together and, and act as if we're, we're not equal. So that's why equality is so, so important to me. You can't just pick out groups of people or groups of colors or height or age or anything else and treat them differently. Because if you do, we will never get to where we need to be. Charlotte, what's the difference between equality and equity to you? Yeah, I mean, equity is is making sure people have not the same exact thing as everyone else, but what they need. And it's not the same for everybody. And just because, let's say you have a, let me use a shelter as an example. You have a shelter with, let's say it's got uh, a ramp for people who use mobility devices. Like, great, that's that's it. But is that going to be what everybody needs to access the facility uh, completely? You know, are there other things that are maybe a little bit more beyond that, that one person might need that another one doesn't? So it's not looking to say uh, it's looking really at the needs of a particular group or community and, and matching their resources um, in turn, you know, and it's not always the, um, the same really. And it could be different depending on whatever group it is. And I think um, I just wanted to react to Carolyn's story there because, you know, that's, that's horrible. It's completely othering and it's um, dehumanizing, frankly. And, it goes, it's, it's a complete lack of, um, of empathy, but also compassion for the folks in those, um, in those settings who are part of those groups who are not doing anything other than just being somebody, just being gay, just being disabled, being whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be. So if you have a little compassion and also a little bit of, I guess, humility, perhaps to ask those people in those groups and leaders in the communities who are members of those groups, what they need and how to best to provide it, you know, you can do a lot with that. And I think um, when it comes to, to equity, especially, I, I always want to think about how can we go beyond tokenism and any of this stuff? Like, it's so important that we don't leave anyone behind, that we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. That's great. But what do we do that's beyond tokenism? What do we do that's just like you're explain here? Tokenism. Explain that, you said? Yeah, explain tokenism. Oh, yeah. Well, to me, anyway, it means just sort of a a nice badge that a company or a group can have to say, like, look, we have our, you know, 
our one queer person at the table and look at this trans person that works here and they're just there and they're saying their thing and great now we're, we got it we checked that box it's, mm-hmm. we want it to go beyond that we want it to be something where you actually get the leadership from these folks you actually get you know that the input and the expertise that they have in whatever it is that they need like let's say they were talking about somebody with a disability or people with disabilities generally which isn't even that great of a thing to say because it's not monolith obviously but are you asking the people themselves for their ideas? Are they in leadership positions, you know? And, um, you know, and even when you think about, Carol, when you talked about like the, that people still may not have good opinions of emergency management because the experience that they've had back then, are you doing anything to, you know, not only bridge that gap, but like have it come from within the communities instead? So I'm not saying I have the right answers for how to do these things, but but I think we just need something a little bit more tangible and um, going beyond that. Uh, so, yeah, that's what that means to me. Yeah, and I think that the the way that you ensure that you really are representing and working with the needs of all of your community is to have some kind of talking groups. I called it support group, but that's not really the right thing. Um, the idea is that you would have representatives that would come from the communities that you could better understand who they are and what they really need. So you have, whether it's religious practices or taking care of pets or whatever it might be, I mean, every single community has different needs. And you're not going to know that because after all, a lot of the people that work in emergency management, at least in big cities, they can't even afford to live in the big city. So they live, you know, a 40 mile commute away. Um, So how do you really serve the needs of people that you don't know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a whole that's a whole other story there. Yeah, um, it is. I read I, I asked for her conversation or her comment to be brought into this because it says grateful for this conversation. Thank you for sharing your experiences and perspectives. Emergency management as a field is better because these spaces are where people can be their full selves. Thanks for making time for this. I think that's critical, right? When we when we do make that space, and I think that kind of goes to what Charlotte was saying, tokenism is we do make that space for everybody being able to have not just a seat at the table, but a voice at the table. And I think that's critical as well. Is that kind of what you're saying on that one as well? Either or. (laughs) Well, I I, I didn't say a couple things about that. Um, My first duty as incoming president was to prepare a nomination slate for our chairs and vice chairs for all of our 25 groups within IAM. Um, And I really wanted to make sure that we went through and removed the people who have been in for a really long time because it really needs to be shared. You're not going to become the ultimate leader if you don't have a chance to lead the organization um, through some of the rest of the rungs of the ladder. At least you won't be well qualified and prepared. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I, I sat in on so many of our group meetings and watched the members, not just the chairs, but watched the members to see how they interacted, who did their homework, who made contributions. And then I called up those people and I said, hey, I see this opportunity. I'm forming a new caucus. I'd like you to be chair. People were absolutely floored because they felt like there was not only a glass ceiling, but between that and the ongoing perception of the good old boys thing, um, people just don't have hope. They're putting in their time. They do it because they enjoy it, but they would love to be able to get leadership experience. And so they were so grateful for that. And so I think that's one of the ways you have to make an effort. Don't just do it the way the organization always has. Act, just reach out 
and and deliberately your actions need to be deliberate deliberately reach out to people who otherwise will not have that opportunity put your hand out and say come on in absolutely charlotte i think that's great and i'll just mention again the word humility and being humble and for me leadership that's one of the best qualities a leader can have is being humble and recognizing like i don't know about this subject i don't know the experience of somebody who is part of whatever the case may be, a community that I'm not part of. Let me reach out to them and ask them and let me not assume that the way we've always done it is best. You know, not with throwing out everything that's worked in the past, but, you know, uh, I think some of the some of the attitudes and percepts, perceptions that still exist are outdated. So, yeah, and you're going to learn so much, even from people who maybe have a lower title than you or have only been in, in mm-hmm. the business for a year or whatever, you're going to learn a lot because somebody's new, somebody's not entrenched in the always thinking. So, you know, and yeah, Carol says climb and lift, but that is what you should do too. As you reach the higher echelons of, of this field, you know, lift up the folks who are need that little step in the door or, or that introduction or just a place to share their ideas. And, um, you know, I, I know I'm grateful for the opportunities I've had to do that and uh, through the years here. Yeah, and I think that's critical too. Is is the idea of climb and lift, you know? And as I said, Charlie, you're standing on the shoulders of of some people who came before you, such as you know, such as Carolyn, and and, and are really making uh, an inroads and and not inroads. That's even a wrong word to use because I think inroads have already been made. Uh, you're you're blowing open the the not just breaking the class ceiling. You're you're blowing it open, and and there's no longer um, any need to have that there. Hey, we're we're coming close to the end of the time here, and like I said, the thirty minutes goes by, but especially when you're having a great conversation, we could talk about this for 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 hours. And a lot of great comments on the side here that we didn't really get to, and I do apologize about not being able to bring everybody's up. Um, but that being said, I'd like what what's one thing? And I always I ask this question a lot, uh, and, and there's two last questions I'm going to ask. Um, and, and so be prepared for the book one here in a second, but what, if you could just snap your finger, if you could be the, the, the king or queen of the world and just say, well, we're over, we got this whole entire thing done. Um, you, you know, uh, what would it be? What would be that finger snap and to make everybody in emergency management realize Carolyn, we'll go with you first. I think kindness goes a long way. And I think you have to practice it in your personal life. And if you do, it'll follow you into your professional deeds, kindness. Charlotte. That's such a good one. I was going to go with a little more of a topical one, but uh, I was going to say climate change. I I wish that all agencies and it would be across the board recognized as the greatest threat of our time and one that will affect every single facet of emergency management and just life in the decades to come. However, you can't do that without actually being kind and compassionate to the communities that may be heavily affected. So um, Absolutely, I, I always say empathy, but uh, that's just this is where I'm at. But and climate change. Speaking of that, everybody, we actually have the uh, the uh, leader speaks uh, webinar series uh, where we're, we're talking about climate change. So uh, check that out. I know oh, Holly yeah. is in the comments over here. Maybe she could uh, post up the uh, the link to that in the comments. But that's a, a thanks for that segue there, Charlotte. All right, <laughs> last question, the hardest question of of the day. All right, um, Carolyn, what book book or, and I see behind you, what book, books or publications are you reading and what do you recommend to emergency managers? Um, I, I'm really honored to be among only 20 crisis leaders in the country. FEMA is standing up a new 
um, Vanguard Fellowship Program um, for crisis leaders. And in that regard, we're being exposed to a lot of information about how to be creative, how to be innovative, how to be strong leaders. It's all focused on on leadership. And so um, my focus has been on leadership, anything from a favorite book of mine for a long time called Making It So, I'm a Star Trek fan. And so things that Captain Picard, his ideologies about leadership and about treating people as a whole, and yet at the same time having a strong leader, I'm really drawn to that. And Team of Teams is one of the books that I've been exposed to recently. Um, Red Teaming, there's several different books I'm learning about through this fellowship opportunity. And so that's that's exciting. I mean, I'll be, I'll be going down paths I never expected to go through, especially during this year. Well, I'm already busy enough as president, but it's a wonderful honor and pleasure to be able to do that. Awesome. Charlotte. Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I definitely, um, I like reading uh, nonfiction and especially historical uh, basis for sort of the where the world's at today. Uh, it's been a while since I've read them, but two books I really like are uh, 1491 and then Guns, Germs, and Steel, which talks about sort of the where our world is today, how things like uh, imperialism and colonialism shaped the world and gave certain advantages to some places and not others. Uh, and they both just provide really good context for where the world's at today. And, um, and especially, you know, we talked about, Carolyn talked about how the 1980s was not that long ago in many ways, even centuries ago is not that long ago and we're still feeling the effects of things that are really um, institutional. So uh, those two are great, but anything that kind of gives you, um, there's also a people's history. The United States is also a very good one um, that I like. Um, But yeah, just when you get that historical context, I think it gives you a really good sense of, maybe why things are the way they are. Absolutely. Hey, both of you, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me today. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And I'd like to do this again sometime because uh, we can talk about this for, for, for hours. And uh, I don't think 30 minutes is enough time. Yeah. All right. Hey, everybody else. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for spending time with us this morning. It's, it's been a great conversation. And uh, don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast player. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Um, and, and also, please, everybody, have a wonderful St. Patrick's Day. Wear green. Stay safe. Stay hydrated.